Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Talent. I'm Nicole Fuqua. You're listening to our audio series where we dig into issues related to talent acquisition. Today, we're talking to Liz Wiseman, the New York Times bestselling author of Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, about how her research and the insights behind multipliers can be applied to your talent programs. Liz is a researcher and executive advisor who teaches leadership to executives around the world. In addition to Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, she has also authored The Multiplier Effect, Tapping the Genius Inside Our Schools, and the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work. She is the CEO of the Wiseman Group, a leadership research and development firm headquartered in Silicon Valley, California. Some of her recent clients include Apple, AT&T, Disney, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Nike, Salesforce, Tesla, and Twitter. Liz has been listed on the Thinkers 50 rating and named one of the top 10 leadership thinkers in the world. She has conducted significant research in the field of leadership and collective intelligence and writes for the Harvard Business Review, Fortune, and a variety of other business and leadership journals. A former executive at Oracle Corporation, she worked over the course of 17 years as the vice president of Oracle University and as the global leader for human resource development. Liz, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. So I want to start basic. You kind of give it away in the title of your book, but what are multipliers? Well, multipliers are leaders who bring out the best in others. They're leaders who use their own intelligence in ways that prompt intelligence in people around them. So that people are not only at their best around these leaders, that they actually get smarter and more capable. So I guess in, in a real short way, they're leaders who use and grow talent in others. So one thing that stood out to me in your book is that the first discipline of multipliers is that they're talent magnets, attracting and deploying talent to its fullest. So in this tight talent landscape where employers are struggling to find qualified candidates and they're worried about losing top performers to greener pastures, what difference do multipliers make in not only attracting top talent but retaining those top performers? Mm. Well, you know, I chose the word talent magnet because people are so attracted to work with them. And, you know, the way that they use people, you know, they deeply utilize people so that people are at their best, they do great work, it creates a great work environment, and it's a place that people want to join, it's a place that people want to stay. But um, I also found in the research that these multiplier leaders, they don't necessarily have better retention rates than other managers. And I actually found that extremely troubling in the research because I came from this mentality of retention is good, that you want to hire people and you want them to stay with you And I actually found that these leaders don't necessarily have higher rates of staying. And the reason why is because they grow talent and they're willing to move people out and up. They're willing to let go of people. People don't leave them as much as they encourage people to move on to the next stage. You know, they kind of move people to a bigger stage. And, and at first I thought, well, wait a minute, like how do they function? Because talent comes to them, but it also leaves them. And as I really dug into the dynamic, it's because there's this steady stream. Like for every one person who leaves, there's five more who want to work there. Like they build a reputation of the place 
the kind of person you want to work for. And often people come back to them, but they don't trap talent. So for some organizations where turnover might be concerning, having a multiplier culture, it would make it less of an issue because you're constantly you may lose someone, but you're instantly going to be able to grow another top performer, essentially. Well, and, and often that talent is moving around inside the company. Um, I, I think of um, an organization that I was doing some early work on these ideas with, which is Salesforce. And I was working with one particular engineering team led by Chris Fry, a really brilliant um, engineering executive. And they decided the thing they wanted to do with the idea was they wanted to lead in a way where talent would flow kind of like in this amoeba model of of management talent would be able to flow where it was most needed inside their organization and they designed a program with this principle that it should be easier to get a job inside the company than it is to leave the company and so what they did is they created a program it's called um opportunity open market oom but it was it was that once and they they're an agile company so they work in sprints so once a sprint was over and they had built you know um, a new release of a product they wanted people to be free to go get another job inside of the company now this is something managers tend to be opposed to no i don't want you to leave i want you to stay but they said they're going to actually open up the talent market every sprint is over giving people a chance to leave without having to get their boss's approval sort of a radical idea they piloted it in this one division of the company it was so successful they've made this policy across all of salesforce and it's actually a policy that's been in place for about nine years that talent should be able to flow to where it's most needed inside of the organization and when you do that Talent doesn't leave to go externally. You can find your growth opportunities from within. So when we're looking at not internal people, but looking at job candidates who are interested in your company, I would assume you want to get the multipliers out in front of them, talking to them, kind of encouraging them to join your organization. So what's the best way to identify the multipliers that you have at your organization, and what's the best way to get them in front of candidates? Well, a good litmus test for a multiplier leader would be a leader who has great engagement scores inside their organization. Most organizations are measuring engagement these days. That's um, that's good. I, you know, using kind of that net promoter score mentality, it's like, who are the leaders that you would recommend to your colleagues? Like. Who's a boss that you would want your mom to come and work for? Um, th that's another way. Here, here are some of the, um, the litmus tests I use in identifying multiplier leaders. I look for their talk to listen ratio. I would look for their sort of statement to question ratio. Um, I would look for where their orientation is. Is it on self? Do they tend to take ideas and project them outward or do they absorb ideas in from other places? And I'll give you one of my favorite tests for a multiplier leader, and this comes from Tom Friel, who's the former CEO of Hydrogen Struggles. And when he first learned about the multipliers idea, he said, oh, he goes, I think I've spent a lot of my career looking for these kinds of executives to place inside of organizations. 
And he gave me um, a question that he uses in the, the interview process. He would ask a leader, you know, an incumbent leader who's interviewing for a job, he would ask the person to describe his or her team. Like, tell me about the people who work for you. And I think it's just brilliant what Tom would listen for. So he wasn't listening for what they had to say about these people. He wasn't listening for who those people were. What he listened for was how long could that executive talk about his or her team before the conversation rolled back to them. Meaning, like, where is their natural orientation? Is it on themselves or is it on the people who work for them? So that's one of the things I would do for looking for multiplier leaders is where is their orientation? Is it on their team or is it on themselves? And then how do you showcase that mentality, those leaders, to draw in candidates to make people want to work for you? Oh, I've never thought about it that way and what you would need to do because my experience is that that just telegraphs itself. Like that, that broadcast out... Um, to those leaders, I think they're naturally interested in other people. They're naturally wanting to know what other people do. So I'm not sure you'd have to tell them to do anything different than to be themselves. But one thing you might do in that um, talent acquisition process and that interviewing process is you might encourage your candidates to do a little background checking on those leaders. You know, people have typically thought about, well, what kind of job do I want? Maybe that's evolved to what kind of company do I want to work for? But I think a really savvy candidate is asking what kind of boss do I want to work for? Because that person and the way they lead is probably a bigger determinant on their career success, their career satisfaction, their life satisfaction than probably any other factor. And so I would do a little bit of background checking. Um, do you find that candidates that approach their job search that way are more likely to be multipliers themselves? It's an interesting question. I have no idea. I don't know. They're more likely to be smart. That's what I, I can tell you for <laughs> sure. But, you know, one of the things I recommend people do is if you want to know what kind of boss you're joining, ask to um, sit in on a staff meeting. Ask to, to listen in on one of their staff meetings, a conference call. Like, listen for how that person leads. I'd want to be a fly on a wall because, we, as we know um, from interviewing the other direction, people can pull off all sorts of um, personas in an interview process. You know, just like you can kind of pull off certain kind of personas in the dating process, but it's not until you're married, you're like, oh, <laughs> those are actually deeply ingrained habits that are hard to change, uh, is, is to, um, to really see how do people, not how do they talk about how they lead, how do they actually lead? Great. I've got another direction I wanted to talk about, and that is, I noticed in your book that a lot of the examples you gave were diverse workforces. And as you know, diversity and inclusion are very big issues, especially right now, incredibly important to HR leaders. So what role do multipliers play in sort of lifting up the voices of typically underrepresented groups? Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's so much a purposeful strategy, like, oh, here's my DNI kind of strategy. It's that 
they they tend to see talent in technicolor rather than you know in sort of monochrome or black and white they realize that people have a diversity of talent that people have diverse gifts and they want it and you know one of the things i noticed in studying these multiplier leaders is that at first pass you might see them as these um enlightened benevolent kind of leaders who really care about people and want to do the right thing by people yeah you could make a case for that but you could also make a case for their lazy selfish leaders let me make the lazy selfish case is is that they they see people's talent and then they want it they want to use it it's like i i want to harvest that and you know they're not doing it necessarily for just the good of the person they're doing it for the good of the organization meaning hey if we've hired smart people i want and deserve to get access to all of that talent so you might argue well it's about authenticity and allowing people to be who they are but from a leader's point of view it's like no i want all of who you are like i don't want just how you operate in your limited job description i want all of the capability so i actually encourage myself and others to take sort of the lazy selfish approach as well is to say how do i deeply utilize the talent that's available to me are you kind of saying that multipliers aren't necessarily seeing taking boxes but they're seeing the full abilities and intelligence that's behind those boxes yes oh yeah very much so and and like i said not just to um appreciate the the diverse flowers in the garden but to pick the bouquet meaning we want all of that talent and not being limited by artificial barriers and we find that multiplier leaders one of their shared characteristics and actually the top characteristic of multiplier leaders that really distinguish them from diminishers is that they um are intellectually curious they want to know what other people know and intellectually curious people would by nature be drawn to people who are different than them because if we have a shared experience like if you and I both grew up in northern california and we both went to the same school and we both worked at the same places and live in the same neighborhood we might have a lot of similar kinds of experiences but let's say there's someone who grew up in a different part of the world you know went to a very different kind of school as perhaps of a different kind of faith you know a different gender a different you know uh, sexual orientation well, that those people are more interesting aren't they and they maybe have more to teach me and more that I can learn from. So again, it's not just appreciating that diversity, it's needing it. Like no, I actually need people who think differently than I do to help me see things I can't see and to avoid mistakes that I would make if I only saw it through one point of view. And in doing that, you automatically get uh, an inclusive environment. Well, I I think so. You get an environment where all voices get a chance to be heard you know in an environment where all minds are 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 needed
But I think it's a natural byproduct of that kind of curiosity, appreciation for differences, and then a need for it, like a, a hunger built of need. Thank you. One other thing that we talk a lot about and hear a lot from our clients is a desire to be an employer of choice. So what's the relationship between having a culture of multipliers and being recognized in this employer brand space as being an employer of mm. choice? I think, Nicole, to, to, to answer that question, we have to look at um, the cousin to the multiplier leader, and, and that is the diminisher. And we have to understand the the effect that they have on people around them. So we find that these diminishing leaders that tend to be kind of control-oriented, micromanaging, you know, um, know-it-all orientation, they're often smart people who rely too heavily on their own ideas and intelligence. We have to understand the effect that they have on the people around them, whereas multiplier leaders tend to get all of people's available intelligence and then grow that intelligence. These diminishing leaders, I find in my research, they get less than half of people's available intelligence. So 48 is the percent that, that came out of my study for diminishers, whereas 95 was the percent for multipliers. So, you know, think about the kind of work environment that creates, where you go into work every morning, you badge in, knowing you have more intelligence, talent, skill, capability, potential, than is being used. So you're grossly underutilized. You're being utilized at less than 50% of your capability. Think, but yet you're going in wanting to give 100%. And, and you know that's the interesting thing I found in my, my research, and this is, is true across cultures, and I don't mean just organizational cultures, I mean national cultures, that people come to work every day wanting to, if not desperately wanting to give 100% of their capability. So you want to give 100%. You've got leaders who only see or use, let's say, half of that. Like in that gap between what people are able to give around diminishing leaders and what they want to give, like think about the things that breed in that space, like apathy, toxicity, you know, a tolerance of, of mediocrity and, and sort of mediocre products and services. So when you think about being an employer of choice, you know, I think part of being an employer of choice is not just creating a great work environment. And, you know, I come from Silicon Valley, so sometimes in, in the Valley we default to a great work environment is like free food, on-site dry cleaning, and chair massages for everyone, you know. But a great environment is an environment where people do great work. You know, it's an environment where people have the privilege of being fully utilized. Like where they get the privilege of working hard and having their ideas matter. So, you know, I think it's easy for people to think, oh, to be an employer of choice, it's about what we give to our employees. But this way of leading and thinking is equally focused, if not more focused on what do we get from our employees? Because an environment where people are giving their fullest is actually an exhilarating environment. People say working for these diminishing leaders is 
is exhausting and it's frustrating. The words that people use describing the multipliers is, you know what, truth be told, it's a little bit exhausting, but it's totally exhilarating. That's an employer of choice. One more topic that I wanted to touch on. We've talked so much today about permanent kind of full-time positions and companies, but with the changing world of work and so many people entering the gig economy where they're maybe, they're not tied to an employer, they're not tied uh, down in the same way, what kind of impact do multipliers have and what kind of impact can multipliers have in the contingent workforce space? There's a book that's been really helpful to me in thinking about how to work in this gig economy is um, The Alliance by Reid Hoffman, Chris Ye, and Ben Casnocha, I think are the, the three authors in this. And, you know, helping it helped me to see that rather than see a job as kind of like a family, a kind of a, a thing that you always have and always do, it's, it's an alliance that is made for a tour of duty. And I think the multiplier orientation for that would be how do we make this work experience like a brilliant one for everyone? How do we get the most out of each other as we're in this experience together, knowing that people are going to move on to other things, but creating such an incredibly positive and impactful work experience that people want to come back? So it's not just a one-and-done kind of gig. It's like, man, when I need someone with this talent, I know exactly who I want to pull in. Or when that, um, sort of to use the gig economy metaphor, when that rider pops up and you're a a Lyft driver, you go, yeah, that's a five-star kind of rider. This is the kind of person, you know, I want to take this gig. Throughout, you know, the variety of different contingent workers, when you've got a multiplier leader at your organization who is going out and working with these contingent workers, mm-hmm. would you expect or have you seen having this multiplier leader mean that they can attract the best contingent talent and then also be able to bring that contingent ba- labor back? for another project. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when we have an experience with a multiplier leader, it is tend to be um, challenging, a little bit exhausting, totally exhilarating. You know, those are people we pick up the phone for, so to speak. Those are the first requests we answer. So I do think these um, contingent workers are likely to want to go back to those gigs. But I think the multiplier logic would be particularly sensitive to the contingent workforce they would realize that actually they're the easiest part of the workforce to underutilize. And not only because they're contingent, but often because they're they're virtual and often out of sight, out of mind, that they're low on the totem pole for development. Let me give you a, a case in point when I had finished the book and I wanted to see what people would do with the ideas. So I asked, oh, I don't know, half a dozen colleague friends, (laughs) you know, people I work with who I knew would do this thing for me, I asked them to take a 30-day multipliers challenge. Like, what could you do in 30 days to get more from the people on your team and apply one of these multiplier ideas? Um, A man named Greg Powell, he decided to take this 30-day challenge, and he had someone on his team who was in Washington, D.C., incidentally, which is where you and I are right now, 
Greg is all the way over in the San Francisco Bay Area in Silicon Valley where the um, company is located. They've just hired this person out in D.C. It's a team that's mostly on the West Coast, and they've got this kind of one stray guy. And Greg said, you know, I know he's smart, but like because he's out there and in a remote office, like I have a feeling he's um, not being neglected, but not being utilized that deeply. Greg had the confidence to go to him, his name was Michael, and say, Michael, how, how fully do you think you're being utilized right now? Not like how full is your time card, but how much of your capability are we truly using? Michael was honest with him. He said, probably 20%. Like you're getting 20% of me. So Greg's like, great. You know what? Let's see what we can do to do more. He learned more about his background and said, oh, wow. Like we didn't hire you for this job, but you know what? You actually have some um, skills like in Brazil. We've actually got this project going on in Brazil. He put him on this. He then realized that on conference calls, Michael was a disadvantaged participant because he's virtual and everyone else is there, part of this core team, part of this core culture. So he made sure that Michael went first on the calls. When there was um, questions being asked, he scooped Michael in. Um, I like to practice giving right of way to the person like on the phone or on the conference call. So he, he defaulted to, to pulling him in. At the end of the 30-day challenge, he asked Michael, like, how fully do you think you're being utilized today? He said probably about 80%. And I think this is also true for our contingent workforce, is that it's very easy to just say, oh, yeah, no, we're plugging you into this role. It's short-term. We just need you to do this. And to really underutilize, maybe get the job done, but we've really underutilized who that person is and what they truly bring to it. And it's realizing more than um, our regular workforce that this is a group that we can get so much more for and from and create a much better work experience for them as well by just realizing that they're a little bit disadvantaged this way and applying the same multiplier kind of logic there. Great. Like, we really want all of you. I know this is what we contracted for, but... Like, bring all of yourself, all of your ideas, all of your intelligence. We'll take it all. Great. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Liz, for sharing your insights today. Nicole, thank you. And thank you for listening. If you have any questions that we didn't cover today, you can send them our way. You can email us at marketing at peoplescout.com, or you can find us on social media. Just search People Scout on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can purchase Multipliers and Liz's other books at major book retailers. You can learn more about Liz and her research and services at thewisemangroup.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode, visit our blog and subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review. Talking Talent is a People Scout production. Music by sound design through Shutterstock.